0: Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs.
1: Well, it's all.
0: Welcome indeed to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. Great show today as always. I'm excited to talk with Kirsty Peak who is a wolf expert in just a few minutes. I have a couple of announcements to make before we start with Kirsty. We're going to be talking about wolves and dogs and how they are different. Mostly how they are different and uh, I'm sure some similarities as well. It's it's kind of an international show today because we have Kirsty Peake, who's um, waiting for us here on uh, via Skype from the UK. And then I actually got an email today from a listener who just found the show online in Australia and she had lots of kind words and uh it was it's so great to hear from listeners. I know that they are all over the world now and um I love to hear from you. So don't hesitate if you have thoughts to share or show ideas or you know, anything, if you want a dog show car sticker, you know, or 20, I can send those out to you too, wherever you are. So don't hesitate to reach out and get in touch and communicate. I really do love, love hearing from listeners. Host at com is the email and that gets directly to me. So the Vashon Sheepdog Trials, one of my favorite events every year here in Western Washington is June 9th through 12th, coming up pretty fast here just a couple months away. Uh, the website is VashonSheepdogClassic.com. It is um, herding trials with mostly border collies on beautiful Misty Isle Farm on Vashon Island. And it is in a, a wonderful weekend uh, event. You can come for just one day. You can spend the weekend on Vashon. There's local vendors, food. Uh, there's a fiber arts village that has all sorts of really cool stuff going on with wool. And then, of course, the trials are so fun to watch, too. June 9th through 12th this year, fashionsheepdogclassic.com. And uh, just to let people know, uh, you know, I talk with people who listen in all sorts of different ways. Um, podcasts and, and apps that they have on their phone and all sorts of stuff I didn't even know existed. Podcast Addict was the newest one for Androids, I think, where they were getting the show there. So if you're not listening live, um, do check out the website, dogradioshow.com. You can find all of our episodes archived there. And that's a really easy way to scroll through and and search for topics. And then I did want to announce also uh, one of our show partners, which is Farm Dog Naturals. They are running a... uh, A promotion on their relief which is their cleaner which is awesome it's great for odor removal and cleaning floors and all sorts of stuff Um, we love it we use it in our house and they're doing a promo where if you buy a, a new container of relief they'll send you basically a second one free so they it's the concentrate so they just send you these little bottles of concentrate and then you add water at home so, it's a, basically a buy one, get one free kind of deal right now through April 20th. Uh, so, that's just about another week. So, go to farmdognaturals.com and check that out. There's no promo code necessary for that. Okay, so let's bring Kirsty on via Skype all the way from the UK. Kirsty, welcome to the dog show. Thank you, Julie. It's really good to be here, despite the fact it's very late over here. I know. The- what is it, 10 p.m.? <laughs> 10 p.m. And you've got a couple dogs in, in the bed behind you, kind of wondering why the lights aren't out?
1: Yeah, well, um, I'm up in my office, and uh, Millie and Rolly are in their beds behind me. Um, this is their den, so this is where they stay. Yeah. So by now, they're normally going, okay, this is bedtime.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what kind of dogs do you have?
1: They're Lakeland Terriers.
0: Oh, cool. They're, um,
1: I've had them since I was five years old. Not oh. a long time ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. O- always Lakelands, huh? Yes. Yeah, cool. Yes.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I think, well maybe I'll get a Labrador. Wouldn't life be easier? And I'm thinking <laughs> that would be boring. Yeah. <laughs> Terriers, you need to have a special personality, I think, to have them.
0: I think so too. Yeah, they they certainly are unique and, and a lot of fun. Yes. So yes. you I'm boring with them. Yeah. So you are a wolf expert.
1: I I have a passion for wolves, okay. which means that I've done a lot of research. Um, I've lectured in wolf behavior and ecology here in the UK at a private education center. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm an expert, but I have a I have a lot of knowledge on them. Okay. I work a lot with the UK Wolf Conservation Trust, um, which has. Um, captive wolves, um, and we raise a lot of money for research and welfare of wolves all over the world. Mm. Um, I think we've we've raised in the last twenty years. We've raised over a quarter of a million pounds sterling.
0: Wow! So um, now you were recently awarded uh, an award from the was it the International Wolf Center?
1: Yes. Yes much to my surprise and disbelief they they gave me the they give out an award every year uh, for uh, a wolf educator and advocate
0: mm-hmm.
1: and for the first time they gave it to someone outside of the USA and I'm the first international recipient for this mm-hmm. and it's called the Who Speaks for Wolf
0: award mm-hmm. And uh, I assume for for folks who are advocating and educating on behalf of wolves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Well, what an honor. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So as someone who loves dogs and who loves wolves and who has quite a bit of knowledge, um, I, I would assert probably in both realms, but certainly with wolves, as that has been your passion and and you've done so much work um, on their behalf. It's it's interesting to kind of talk about wolves and and talk about I think uh let's see so it was about a year ago I interviewed um Temple Grandin are you familiar with her? Yes. Okay so I interviewed her last year for the first time and I'll be talking with her again this May and I read her book um let's see Animals Make Us Human was the one that we were talking about the book that we were talking about yes. and I really learned a lot about the where the whole idea of the alpha model came from. And she talks a lot about the difference between captive wolves and wolves in nature and that they have different uh, different experiences of hierarchy and that they they really are very much in nature um, if sort of on their own and left left to be. Uh, function a lot like more like a family than than sort of this alpha model that I thought was interesting. Are, are, are do you share that view?
1: Very much so, and in fact, um, David Meach uh, several years ago uh, said that he always regretted using the term now alpha uh, because of the implications within with for us as humans of of that meaning dominant. Yeah, um, and the the tendency now is to refer to the breeding female and the breeding male
0: mm-hmm.
1: because they they captive wolves are as temple says it it, it completely different from wolves in the wild yeah um and there may have been done there may have some harm may have been done in the perception of wolf behavior right at the beginning because most of the documentaries were filmed with wolves in captivity mm-hmm without informing the audience, if you like, that they were
0: captive wolves. Yeah, I think she called them forced packs.
1: Yes, yeah. uh, exactly that. Yeah. Um, th- there's an example that I've just heard of a couple of days ago of, there's a, a breeding pack in a zoo in Germany, and because they are in an enclosure, and there's no ability for wolves to disperse, move on, they started fighting, so they had to remove wolves and, and move them on to somewhere else.
0: Mm-hmm. And that would probably be due generali- to generally stress-related, I would think. Yes, Yeah.
1: yes. And, and I think also because a wolf pack in the wild is, is familial. Um, right. It's the, the breeding pair, maybe a relatives, and then sort of first, second, third-year pups. So the whole process is much more family-like. Every every generation educates the the, the next generation coming along. And there's a much more feeling of um, self-assurance and self-confidence in a wild pack because they know that at some point they're going to make a kill sooner or later. Mm -hmm. Whereas for a captive pack food will appear. They don't have to, they have no option of hunting, no ability to earn their own living, if you like. So if you have a, to use that word, if you have a dominant male in, in an enclosure, he may well grab that food that comes in and not let anybody else have it.
0: Mm. Because of that's the only way he can control the food source. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, yes. that's interesting because I've thought about the, um, I'd love to hear your perspective on this about, you know, feeding and and sort of with dogs. So my expertise is in dog training and behavior. And I work with people, uh, mostly in the Seattle area doing private consultations for their dogs for anything you could imagine. I mean, new, we got a new puppy or we just rescued a dog. We want to go, you know, we want to go in the right direction or they have a dog who is exhibiting some sort of behavioral challenge, aggression, anxiety, whatever. So I work with pretty much everything, all breeds, and um that, that's
1: that's exactly what I do as well. I have a behaviour and training practice.
0: Well for dogs? For dogs. Oh cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. That, so that's, that's I mean,
1: when I read read up about you and I thought, well, here we are, we're two animal behaviourists talking together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we um I specialise in reactive dogs. Mm. Um I work on in the UK we work on veterinary referral and we work with the emotions of the dog.
0: Yeah. Mm hmm. So I thought about this food um thing and that there is this you know as you know I don't know how it is in the UK but in the US it's it's still pretty much unregulated as far as dog training and you know anybody can just be a dog trainer and and there's no sort of set course to go through to to be um qualified and there's so many different philosophies and tools and approaches and and there's every dog is different as you know uh, every dog is a unique individual and, and should be approached as such and not try to fit each dog into one style of training. And there's this one um, method of motivation under sort of the all-positive category of of having the dog work for, like, every bit of, um, let's, let's say for the sake of the conversation, although I don't generally recommend kibble um, – Every piece of kibble that that dog eats, they have to do something for the human for it. And um, I feel like my reaction to that is that it must be frustrating to have every piece of food that you get, you have to do something for, you know, you have to do something under direction absolutely very stressful very stressful yes dog. thank you yeah. yes
1: yeah and and it there is there is a school of thought that, that the dog has to earn everything yeah um, whereas i like to work on the basis that the dog is rewarded for a behavior and that, that reward could be something as simple as a big smile and a cheer from right. from owner. right um or a happy voice, yeah uh, it doesn't have to be food, but I mean certainly dogs don't work uh, where the way we work in in my practice we, we don't expect people to go out there and say right he's he's got to work for this piece of kibble because there's no motivation for the dog to do that eventually,
0: right yeah, it seems like we're 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 still kind of in mainstream. Um, in the mainstream conversation, which I don't even know if that thing exists, but there's, because there's several, um, that we're still in this country anyway, and we'll talk about this, um, you know, we'll continue to talk about this with you and how it it relates to wolves as well, but um, finding this balance between acknowledging that, yes, dogs are, in, in an epidemic level, unemployed in this country. They have no work to do and they've been working for us for tens of thousands of years and still need an outlet for that mental energy um, to some degree, of course, every individual is different. Um, yes. But then, but meeting those needs, but that doesn't mean that they have to work for every, you know, we don't want to kind of swing in the other direction and, and have them, you know, working for every piece of food. Cause I feel like that's disrespectful.
1: Yes. It's, to me, that's just, the dog will just shut down. Yeah. Because, you know, what what is the point of doing this? Because um, where's the excitement? Yeah. Where's where's the interest? Yeah. And and to to, to make the dog actually have to work, I mean, that's like someone being expected to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it also puts a little too much focus on the food as the primary motivation and not the relationship.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I mean, I will sometimes I, I play a game with, um, cause I used to breed dogs.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Lakeland play, terriers. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was a guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to sometimes if I had a, a bitch in season, and the, the a stud, dog, an entire dog was, was getting frustrated. I used to give him a, a find it game. Sure. Where I would just put bowls of food out and hide it in the garden, which I had trained it, not trained him, but shown him the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would just give him the clue, find it, and his tail was up and wagging, and off they go and find all the bowls.
0: Yeah. But that's not
1: working. That's a game.
0: Right. Right, it's a, a little bit of a different flavor when the dog is working for himself versus working for yes. somebody else. Yeah, yeah.
1: So your dog has to sit, right. and then you get the kibble. Right. The dog has, you know, has to walk to heel or gets kibble. Right. Or you know, it, it's whoa. Right. That's not. Uh, I I would like to think that we're moving away from that
0: kind of thing in the UK. Hmm. Well, and there's a difference between training a dog and living with a dog, and I. I, you know, certainly work with teaching people how to train their dogs kind of some basic commands because they can be useful tools to work with the living with the dog part of it. But this kind of brings us back to this idea of um, the the alpha model and, you know, oh, because I have people all the time still ask me or sort of express to me, well, I, you know, I, I, I I'd want your help because I'm struggling with being alpha, you know, or I know I need to be alpha, so I go through doorways first and I eat first and it's like okay, let's clarify this because it's 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 relationship dynamic. There's a lot more moving parts to it and I think it's uh not really giving dogs enough credit for their awareness of of all the pieces that that play into a relationship to say you know, the dog's not sitting there like watching you go through a doorway first and then thinking, oh, you're in charge. I, I respect you. You know, it's not. Yes.
1: Yeah, classic is, again, that don't let your dog sit up on stairs above you or, or look down on. Right. Or don't let dog sit on the back of the sofa. I. It, it's just um, my I it, this really is what got me started into this because mm. um I, I just felt that we're, we're just not right here with, with dogs. And I think possibly in a lifetime of, with my father and, and myself with, with terriers of knowing that, there's, you know, if you think you're going to dominate a terrier, you know, you really are on a hiding to nothing. Right. Um, so if you think about wolves, they they've learned over generations how to behave around other wolves from other wolves. Right. So they know how to play the game, if you want to call it that, Mm -hmm. to avoid the conflict and fit in. So for me, their dominance is not forced on them. It's a natural part of their behavior because they've learned it from all the other wolves in the pack. Mm -hmm. And it starts the moment they come out of the den and they go to the rendezvous site. But on the other hand, Dogs don't know how to play the game because there's no opportunity for them to learn from their ancestors Mm -hmm. because we take them away at eight weeks and put them in another, into a family unit, which is a different species. Right. So for us to play the role of pack leader with our dogs is to inflict confusion and on occasion fear in our dogs. It's like um, taking an al- taking one of us and putting it in with a, a group of aliens. Mm-hmm. We have no idea how to behave. It's up to us to guide the dog, right. to show yeah. what is acceptable in a human world, but remembering that everything that they're doing is completely natural in a canine world. Right.
0: I think where we 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 get to this point in the converse the general conversation that i that i hear at least in the industry here in the US of of people who work with training and behavior there's a lot of where we'll sort of get to this point in the conversation and then stop and then and then there's a lot of people who believe that you should never tell your dog no and and you know not set limits and and so that's where I feel like there's been a collapse of like okay we I agree you agree Temple Grandin agrees lots of other people agree this whole alpha model is actually not really accurate as far as wolf behavior goes and wolves in the wild wolves in their natural setting and and yet it's been taken and taken and run with in the dog training industry. And and it, there's such a disconnect for people like, oh, I have to be alpha. Well, I don't really know what that means. What does that mean? But if you look at it in a terms of a parental, um, a par- like parent-child dynamic more so than like an alpha versus omega or whatever, then um, because we, you know, to your point, it is up to us to give the dogs the guidance and to, sh- to show them how to live if it's one dog who lives in a in a household with four humans or even just one other human they're they're now in a human world and so it is up to us to take that leadership position of being the one who provides the guidance and reinforces the right choices and also is able to set limits but in a way that the dog will understand as a dog so it's not that we only interact with them in a way that's that's rewarding. I think that dogs if you watch dogs interacting with each other, I mean it's okay to say like, oh hey, like don't do that. That's disrespectful. Like how do they Okay, so I have a specific question for you. How do you how do you think is the most healthiest way for a dog to learn to respect their human? I think
1: with with to respect the human um that, that's an interesting question I think that you have to it, it goes back to the guidance it goes back to the fact it you do have to sometimes say no um, it's setting the guidelines and knowing what is acceptable and what is not acceptable I think where the confusion has come is a lot of between the positive and um, Reinforcement and negative reinforcement. Mm -hmm. Negative reinforcement does not mean punishment. Right. So an example I would give of that is the the classic one of a puppy uh, that bites, do puppy biting. Right. Um, And it gets an awful lot of positive reinforcement because the owner bends over, picks it up puts it down and says no no you mustn't do that right (laughs) so the dog goes great i've got attention so it's straight back in there sure but if what i say to my clients is if if you actually just get up and walk out the room and shut the door on the pup count to 10 because that's as much as the but if after 10 the pup will forget why it's been the door's been shut on it go back in again and if it does it again walk out again the pup learns that that is not that's a negative reinforcement because he is not getting anything back from the owner for for doing that so he thinks okay this is not rewarding behavior so i won't do it right so the dog starts to learn to respect the leader, if you like, right. the, the, the guider, the, the guy, the person who is guiding them, right. because yeah. there are guidelines, but they're not held in place by punishment. Right. They're held yeah. in place by positive reinforcement of the good stuff and negative reinforcement of what you don't want. Right. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Yeah.
0: You know, I learned that, um, that technique for jumping up and I love it walking out like abruptly out the door. And then the dog's like, Oh, where, where'd you, what? (laughs) Like, I was so excited to see you. Where'd you go? And then you walk back in, they do it again. Ah, as soon as they put their paws on you, you fly out the door and they're like, huh. And so it's a, it is a, a consequence for them, it's like, hey, it, you know, when you jump on me, it's almost like I get sucked out of the house by a vacuum. So and so then the dog figures out, OK, I'm super excited to see you. But every time I jump on you, you fly out the door and, and that does not work for me. That's not what I want. I want you. And so they learn to control themselves. That's right. I learned yes. that from I learned that from John Rogerson. Oh, yes. He he was in in Olympia, Washington, doing a three day seminar on on aggression, and it was fabulous. And I um, actually learned that trick from him. Yes. So. So it's this idea that I I just love that you said that. I want to say it again. There is so negative reinforcement is not punishment. That's right. So, um, punishment is like. You did this, and now there's almost like, it's like there is a consequence, but it's in the future, and so the dog doesn't connect. Oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. Yes, It's like, you know, your adolescent child, you know, acts out, and then they don't get to watch TV for a week. Well, six days into it, they know why they can't watch TV. It's because of whatever they did, you know, six days ago. But the dog isn't getting it it has to be in the moment
1: absolutely because it's we're two different species right it's like um, for example if, if, if I've got sheep and and cattle in the field it's like the sheep trying to be dominant over the cattle <laughs> <laughs> they're two different species yeah um, and that's and it is this thing of anthropomorphizing dogs of humanizing dogs um, yeah That people do this and then assume that the dog knows exactly what to do. Right. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. I'm talking with Kirsty Peake via Skype all the way in the UK. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. This is Julie Forbes. I'm excited to tell you about Farm Dog Naturals, a company that handcrafts herbal remedies for the all-natural dog. Quality and integrity are must-haves for anything that I recommend. Certified eco-friendly and cruelty-free, their products address issues like stress and anxiety, itching, hot spots, crusty noses, as well as pet urine, stains, and odor. Farm Dog Naturals is guaranteed, and I'm so happy with the results I'm seeing. Shipping is available worldwide from their website, farmdognaturals.com, or you can ask for them at a retailer near you. Again, that's farmdognaturals.com. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh, yeah. Dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression... Even dog food sensitivities, you name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host, at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host, at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning
1: at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Anti-Icky Poo, the product that gets the stink out, we cover the world of animals. This week, April 17th, it's Harmonic Energy Shifting Sunday with Jude and Paul Ponton from Whispering Dragon in Seattle. They'll be in the studio with their acutonic forks, Tibetan bowls and bells, pua, didge and rattles, ready to do remote sessions for you, your animal friends, your home or
0: business. Open phone lines throughout the show. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options Good news, Belgium. We're streamed worldwide at 1150kknw.com. Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Probably the best application of that song so far cuz I've heard that one a number of times over the years. We are actually talking w- with Kirsty Peak who was just awarded a uh, Who Speaks for Wolf award from the International Wolf Center and Kirsty is with us via Skype in the UK. So Werewolves of London, well done Eric as usual. <laughs> so Kirsty, welcome back to the dog show. Thank you. So if you've missed any part of this episode or any of our over 270 episodes, you can find us online. No, 370. Eric, that's how many we've had. I've, I'm like, 370, really?
1: I don't know how you keep track of them all. Three hundred. Well, I just said 270, <laughs> so I guess <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> 370-something episodes. You can find them all archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. You can also find them on our Facebook page, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes and, of course, on iTunes as a free podcast. So Kirstie uh, works with dog training and behavior in the UK, much like I do, and then she also does a lot of work uh, advocating and educating uh, on the behalf of wolves. And so we're talking about, I feel like we could be here for a few hours, but the show is only an hour long, and it's 10.30 p.m. now in the UK, so it's good that that's not an option. So we've just been talking about... um, sort of a clarifying social structure in wolves and, and then, you know, in the wild sort of naturally their natural social structure, which is basically a family, um, family unit and kind of talking about this whole alpha idea and how that kind of went sideways and then how that sideways idea got put into the dog world, which went, took another wrong turn. And, um, and then, you know, talking about, uh, the difference, which is important. Um, the difference between negative reinforcement and punishment, very different. And that, that is something that has been in the conversation among the, uh, I, I guess for lack of a better word or phrase, the all positive training, um, camp of trainers, which is, I think, um, What at least a lot of the certifications represent is that they say, you know, punishment, punishment, punishment. And, you know, no, 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 don't ever tell your dog. No, you know, don't punish your dog. But that there is a place for negative reinforcement is how the world works, right? That's how we learn where there are limits. It's what makes us think. So one of the things that I tell my clients and Kirsty, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this is the kind of the function of negative reinforcement in the world and that it's what makes you, you know, you stop and think, makes you think, oh, yes. you know, and that's valuable.
1: Yes. I, you can, I mean, I'm sure you do this as well. That, that when you go in and work with the dog and, and do a negative reinforcement on it, you can actually see the dog going, whoa, what happened there? Yeah. Um, I need to think about that. And then when he presents a behavior that is then acceptable, to then get the positive reinforcement, which probably is slightly exaggerated at that point to reinforce that this is right. the one we want. Right. Dog goes, ding, right. I've got it. Right.
0: Um, and you, to see that
1: is, is just phenomenal.
0: Seems and like, dog. yeah, the, the, the balance of the two make each that much more clear for the dog because they have something to relate to. Yes. Right. Yeah. So um, now we were taught there was something that we had talked about. I think it was maybe during the break that I wanted to get to about the human impact on dogs and and also like as far as evolution goes and kind of what makes dogs, dogs and wolves, wolves, you know, from your perspective, having a deep understanding of both species um, one that came from the other is the most widely accepted theory in science. As far as I'm, as far as I understand, um, you know, what, what are, can you speak to what are some of the main differences between wolves and dogs and the, and why? Well,
1: I think that the, the main difference, I suppose probably the biggest difference is the brain capacity and decision-making abilities. Mm. um, wolves work on a very much a sort of a cost versus benefit when they're hunting so they make decisions that that really the dogs don't um if you think about when a a one out of eight hunts will be stopped by the wolf because they're not they realize that that it's not worth carrying on because the cost of it is not going to meet the benefit Mm. um if you get a, a a dog that has a chase instinct, he will just keep chasing. Right, fact, <laughs> to a yeah, fault. <laughs> to a fault. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's, he's not. In, he doesn't need to kill this animal to eat it or anything like that. But there are still the traits in there. The motor pattern, if you like, is still there to chase. And hey, it's fun. Right. Um, and that's something where I live here in Dartmoor National Park, we have a, quite a big problem with, with, um, sheep being chased by dogs. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I can remember, and I think the, the classic I had was a client with a Vi mm-hmm. um, um, and got him from rescue, and obviously in rescue because he had a huge chase problem. Mm-hmm. And he, the, the the owner, his owner ended up writing an awful lot of checks to farmers for their sheep. Mm. Um, but we worked quite hard with him because. There was never a time when he was never going to chase. This chase was there. Yeah. His owner phoned me up one day, and he he had actually this dog had brought down and killed a deer wow. in, in their property. Um, and the owner said it was just amazing, Kirsty, because he said I just called him and he and he and said biscuit and he came away. Biscuit. And I had to explain to him the reason he left the deer was because the deer had stopped running ah, uh, and that there was no, no what do I do now yeah so it, oh dad's got a biscuit I'll go off and have a biscuit
0: right
1: <laughs> yeah and it, it's that kind of thing um we, we live in a thatched house and, and occasionally you'll get a spider running across the carpet and one of the dogs will flatten it sure and then he'll take his foot off it and say go on then run again <laughs> um and that's the answer for mobilizing. but they're actually okay. waiting for it to run again so they can do something yeah. so that that's the sort of the the difference um the wolves will think no i can't do that this is getting too complicated and stop the dog will just carry on
0: yeah you had said that um wolves have all of the the drives all in in balance you know herding and yes and chasing and guarding and hunting, you know, and all of those things. And and where we have sort of um, pulled out the the various drives that make a wolf a a functional balanced animal in the wild and allows them to survive. And we've accentuated them in dogs to where in some cases they are um, so intense that, It's just, you know, the dog has no control. It's been amplified too loud almost.
1: I think, yes. I mean, I think sometimes, uh, to me, we shouldn't think about breeds per se. To me, the classic is that there are two types of dogs. There are biddable dogs and non-biddable breeds. Mm -hmm. So the biddable breeds are going to be the breeds like your border collies and gun dogs, where humans have developed a specific trait in those breeds. Um, Biggest problem we have in training classes are border collies that have come, been bred on a farm and sold from the farm. And their working genes are so strong that they can't actually cope being a pet. Mm -hmm. So they're rounding up the children they're shadow chasing because they're bored. Right. Because it's not enough to, for the owners to sit there and say to me, we walk it 15 miles a day. Yeah. My yeah. reply to that is, and what are you doing for its brain? Right. Um, so we, we've really hardwired some dogs to do specific jobs. Um, so your biddable breeds, Are breeds that rely on us to tell them what to do, and then your non-biddable breeds are the terriers, the hounds, who we have (laughs) developed to make their own decisions. Right.
0: Yeah. Man, (laughs) think of the scent hounds and sight hounds that I've tried to train over the years, and they're like, "Why would I do that?"
1: (laughs) and the terrier that sits there going done that what's next yeah and you're trying to say to it no you haven't done it right because you've done it once but that's not enough yeah um so it's and it's it's and then you look at the different structures the facial structure of, of dogs that's that's us that's done that yeah Wolf is a wolf is a wolf. You look at a North American wolf, you look at a European wolf, you look at an Ethiopian wolf, mm. they're all basically the same structure, the same as um, horses, um, a horse, an ass, a mule, a donkey. They all look the same. Right. They've got the same facial structure, the same bodies. But dogs don't. And the reason dogs don't is because of the human impact right. on Dogs, which still goes on today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, the. Um, I just lost my train of thought. There's so many, so many directions I can go with you on this. Um. I had a conversation. I think it was with Dr. Jim Ha, which was uh, last year, 2015, and he was talking about the differences between um, dog breeds and 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 behavior and that there are some dog breeds like a Malamute, for example, that are sort of closer to their ancestors versus a poodle and that they actually communicate differently. And this is based off of his experience with, in in the world of canine science and research and, and stuff. Um, have you heard of, of that um, idea that, and, and I think it was in that conversation where he said, you know, in any other species if there was as much variation within the same species as there are dogs they would there there would be subspecies like it's almost like there's so much variation between dogs that they could almost be multiple species
1: yes yes i mean i would i would agree with that but yes. a malamute looks like a malamute because we've made it look like a malamute
0: mm-hmm.
1: german shepherd looks like a german shepherd because we've done that um you get. I don't know if you have. We have a breed here now called an Inuit, mm-hmm. um, which is a um, northern breed um, that are being bred to be a wolf look-alike. Mm. But they're not wolves. They're dogs. They just happen to look like a wolf, but they don't necessarily have wolf behavior.
0: Would you uh, s- would you say that they do? compared to, like, a pug?
1: Closer well, it's, to?
0: It's,
1: it's interesting. Do you, do you know the dog that is closest to a wolf?
0: What are you going to say? Pekingese. No.
1: Yeah. Because it has had so little <laughs> input from other breeds into it.
0: Oh, Interesting. So the the more input a breed has from other breeds makes them genetically further away from a wolf. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, I gotta digest that and we need to take a break. We're talking with Kirsty Peak via Skype in the UK. She is recently awarded the Who Speaks for Wolf Award from the International Wolf Center, and she's also works with dog training and behavior in the UK. We're having a great conversation. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. It's time for us to go. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options, Host at DogRadioShow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at DogRadioShow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) This summer, pack up the dog bowls and head to the Lodges on Vashon. Just a 20-minute ferry ride from West Seattle, Vashon Island is the perfect quick getaway for you, your family, and your furry friend. The Lodges on Vashon has 16 freestanding contemporary lodges, two communal spaces, and plenty of outdoor space to enjoy with your pooch. Go to lodgesonvashon.com for more information, because sometimes your dog needs a vacation too. Spread the word. Your favorite shows are on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We're gone. And we're never back. All right, we're back with Kirsty Peak via Skype from the UK. Kirsty, welcome back. Thank you. So, you—we were just talking at the um, end of the last segment before we went to break about um, this chart, and I'm trying to find it right now. Do you know? Can you point? Yeah, I'm just trying to think
1: where it is as well, and I can't. I I've, I've got it somewhere.
0: Okay. Well, maybe um, you can email it. Uh, we can, yeah. and then I'll share it on our Facebook page, and and I'll, I'll kind of post about it in case people are interested in it. So you said which bre- which dog breed is genetically closest to the wolf? I thought well, it's probably not the obvious, you know, Malamute, <laughs> Husky. No, (laughs) Pekingese, because it is, has not, it is the Pekingese is the Pekingese, and it's not been, that breed has not been influenced by other breeds to become, it's like we have, we have a few different dog breeds, but like one of them is Australian cattle dog. So, and there's um, all sorts of different types of dogs that, that were put together to make the cattle dog. Yes. Um, Yes. Whereas Pekingese just a Pekingese. That's right, mm.
1: yeah, and and bred for years in China, mm. and nothing's come in to to change it.
0: Yeah So we were speculating that, because neither of us have worked with very many Pekingese, if any, if we can remember, um, in our profession of working with dog training and behavior. That, that would mean then that, and I'll be curious, if there's anyone listening that's a Pekingese enthusiast, please get in touch, host at dogradioshow.com and let me know what you think, that they must be pretty balanced as far as their drives go. So they don't have a really uh, accentuated um, chasing instinct or, you know, anything like that, um, that they must be pretty balanced. We would, I guess, kind of guess. Or yes I've never had
1: one and neither have my colleagues in the practice we, yeah. we, we just haven't but we've had we've had pups in in, classes, in in dog training classes but never with a behavior problem and they've been remarkably easy and just get on with everything
0: well there you go yeah too bad about the uh, brachiocephalic and the health problem yes. probably huh yeah that, yeah
1: that's if hmm. you like that's the influence I hate to say it, the influence to a certain extent of the show world right. on on the breed,
0: sure, um, because that's what they want. Yeah.
1: Why um, I don't know.
0: I know. Because the dogs end up suffering, and it's just sad to see that. So. Yeah. So Kirsty, we um, we have just a, a few minutes here. Um, I can't believe it. It's been such okay. a such a pleasure to talk with you, and and thank you for your work that you do with both dogs and wolves is there anything with these last few minutes, as far as we're talking about dogs and wolves and, and the differences we've covered a lot of ground so far, but is there anything else that's kind of hanging out there for you that you'd like to speak to?
1: I think that for me, one of the messages that I want to get across regarding dogs is that people shouldn't forget that these are emotional animals that Mm. they do have emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, for wolves, if you're going to look at wolves, don't get hijacked by what has happened in the past. Um, research nowadays shows just how good a w- the wolves are, and if you, if the, a wolf pack makes a kill, um, it's normally the, the the younger wolves that actually catch the prey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the big breeding, the heavyweights, if you like, the older wolves, come in afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it's not a case of, as we've seen, that people feel that the, the breeding pair or the alphas as they eat first and everybody eats at the, at the, the, sort of the same, uh, in order of rank. Um, if the youngsters have killed this elk, for example... They're not going to sit there waiting for mum and dad to turn up and uncle and um, they're gonna get in there first, and they will eat together it it's yeah it's a communal thing there might be an odd scuffle if if two go for the same bit together as you would get maybe with a couple of teenagers at, over the round the dining room table yeah. there's only
0: <laughs> there's only one muffin left or something and they both yeah. want it yeah. yeah yeah yeah,
1: but there's no real. Um, it's not everybody sitting there waiting. Oh, where are they? And um, you know, I mean, the classic case that, that I can recount from from Yellowstone was um, a pack that um, the alf, the breeding male, the alpha male was was removed, and and a, a younger wolf came in as the, as the breeding male, but surprisingly. In that situation, the the old breeding male stayed in the pack. Hmm. So, we had one day when the new male, new breeding male, was sound asleep, and this bison wandered in, and the rest of the pack killed this bison, led by the previous breeding male. Hmm. And they were all feasting on this when the other one woke up and came (laughs) in and said, How did this happen?
0: (laughs) It sounds like there's a lot more fluidity. Than what we have, uh, then our sort of, um, our ideas are of this whole pack structure and hierarchy and it, it's uh, very rigid and that there's a lot of fluidity and a lot of relationship dynamics and, and, and a lot more going on, a lot more complex and, and more, like I said, just more fluidity than, than what our understanding has been based off of what we've been taught.
1: Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, it, it, it... To actually see wolves in captivity serve a huge purpose because they um, they educate people um, and people can see wolves. Mm -hmm. But to see wolves in their natural habitat Mm -hmm. is to see to actually to start to understand them.
0: Yeah. Well, Kirstie, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. And I hope to have you back on the show again sometime. And thank you so much for the work that you do with both wolves and dogs over there in the UK. Do you have a website you'd like to give out for people who might be listening in the UK who want to find you? Um,
1: I've got a couple of websites.
0: Okay. One is
1: um, petmattersdevon.co.uk, which okay. is my practice. And the other one is uk.
0: Okay, great. I'll get those links and post them on um, on our homepage as well. Thanks again so much for your work, and thanks for listening to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Been listening to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at DogRadioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.